0: Um, This morning we're going to continue in our our discussion of of Moses and our celebration of God's redemptive work in all of history, how God has been moving from the very beginning um, to bring about new life, to bring about salvation, to bring about freedom, um, and we celebrate every Sunday the awesome work of our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are our Redeemer, our Savior, our King who reigns over all things. Lord, would you let your glory be known in this place, that from your word, your truth, uh, would come and penetrate our hearts, that you would move us forward, that we wouldn't be those that would be quick to despair or quick to complain or quick to worry, because you, God, are an awesome God. You continue to bring about Deliverance and salvation. Make your Son and your salvation, your ways, and your glory known throughout the earth. Make them known in our hearts and our lives. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Did you have a good uh, Fourth of July, we just had that. I, I hope you had a little celebration, perhaps. Uh, the, you know, there's fireworks, and some of you guys went to parades, and some of you had cookouts, and some of you... Uh, ha- I had a hot dog. I, you know, the, the, the traditional Fourth of July kinds of things, right? We, we do this, and we celebrate. But so often, I think we often forget, right, that when we celebrate the birth of this nation, we are really remembering a lot of the people who had to take some steps of faith had to take some steps of, wow, we're going to oppose a king. We're going we're to try to have a, a government that's by the people for the people. And it was a great cost that brought about that separation from England, right? I mean, there was a human life toll. We we, we celebrated also Juneteenth, right? We we remember that to bring about freedom in America they cost human lives to to right some wrongs. Sometimes we forget in our celebrations and our memorials the great human toll and and cost that often these freedoms uh, put upon individuals that paid those prices for us. Well, we come to this place as we're looking in the story of Moses. We've seen how God called him to bring about a freedom, to bring about a release for the captives, to bring about um, a, an exodus, a way out. So that's literally what the, book, the word exodus means, a way out for the people of God who were trapped in slavery for over 400 years. Uh, 430 years, it says, to the day, the scripture says, they were in uh, Egypt in bondage. Well, today uh, we look more deeply at how God brought about that salvation, the cost that, that, that came about as God glorified Himself in the eyes not only of the Israelites of the Hebrews, but also in the eyes of the Egyptians. So let's jump into our text this morning. Uh, my wife is reminding me, "Hey, stay focused. We got to get we got things to do." Sometimes my sermons have been going a little long. We're, we're, we got to get those focused. So Exodus chapter four, we're looking at what it says. It says, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, uh, see that you perform before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, right? All of the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Well, that's a confusing statement. I thought the purpose was to let the people go. Well, let's, let's go on and keep reading. Then Pharaoh said to, or then they then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I've told you, let my son go so that he may worship you. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Whoa, 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 whoa Okay. I was ready to just celebrate this nice, you know, our God is an awesome God. He's God of love. He's God. What? When I read a verse like that, I'm like scratching my head going, mm, I, I like the God is love thing. Where, wait, murder? God, what are you thinking, God? What is going on? Listen, this question has gone throughout the, the Scriptures, throughout our, the Old Testament. We have seen this same question. How could our God, who is righteous and just and holy and loving and good, do things that seem judgmental? Okay, it's just judgment and wrath. Okay, it's just, okay. I like God is love, right? First John, anybody like that one? How about in the Psalms? You know the Psalms? There's some Psalms that are a little bit, whoa. Okay, here's one. Um, Psalm, what is it, 7, uh, Psalm 9, 10. It's God is a God of wrath. Our God is a God of wrath. He expresses his wrath every day. And I thought, wait, what? I always think of God as merciful. Look at Jeremiah. Look at his, he says this, Lord, you're always righteous, Lord. When I bring a case before you, you're righteous. I trust you. Yet I would speak to you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do the faithless live at ease? Or, or look at Habakkuk. He questions God a little bit. He says, God, you are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? There's this question about how can God allow evil, but how can God even bring about some of these these horrific acts? Today, we are looking at how God used Moses to bring the people out of slavery. To do so, God sent Moses with some signs and wonders. And let's just, tell, let's just be honest about what we call them. The ten what? Plagues. Plagues. Oh, my goodness. Why in the world would God be a God bringing about plagues? Okay, so here's our big question. Since God is loving and he is good, I believe that. Why are his judgments often so severe? Let me give you quickly four. I I, I believe that we see in the scripture these four truths. That God is often using these like evils, these actions, actually sometimes as retribution, as justice for some other evils that were happening. But also a correction to show that God is God and, and to bring people into a belief in him. He's correcting false beliefs. God actually in his wisdom is sometimes using some of these horrific actions to actually prevent future catastrophes and finally you cannot understand the actions of God in the Old Testament without understanding that it is one big story arc that God has a meta-narrative that he is telling that God is bringing all things to be about his son his son Jesus who is ultimately the sacrifice for our sins so let me just walk us through this a little bit in this passage where we see this. First, we got to realize that when God is bringing this judgment upon Egypt in particular, he is actually bringing a judgment about some pretty horrific things that were happening in the Old Testament. Look at Exodus chapter 1. We're going to move backwards in the story. Do you remember this uh, when we looked at two weeks ago? It says that so the Egyptians put slave masters over the Hebrews, right? They were growing in population. There were a large number of them, and they got afraid that the Hebrews would lead a rebellion or revolt. So they put slave masters to oppress them by forced labor. So they built these... Uh, cities, Python and Ramses, as store cities for pharaohs. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. So the Egyptians became to dread the Israelites. They made their lives miserable or bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. Their har- and all of their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly, ruthlessly, in fact, by the end, Pharaoh's giving this command, verse 22 of chapter 1. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Let every Hebrew boy that is born to you be thrown into the Nile. Now that's not the uh, little swim party, right, for the preschool? No, no, no. That's not the swim. It's throw them in the Nile to kill them, to let them be eaten, to let them be destroyed by the elements. Throw them into the Nile, but let every girl live. Realize that this was horrible. This, I mean, this was slavery. This was let's work the people to death. We're trying to keep for population control. In fact, that's not working. Let's just kill the children. When God brings these plagues upon Egypt, it's not just a slap on the wrist, but it is actually like, look, there are consequences for this action. There is a justice that has to be paid. There is this eye for an eye. There is a, look, you cannot commit these atrocities and go unpunished. There is something that God is having to say in the world that we don't even realize in our world today. We have things that are brought about, quite honestly, when we look at history, so often by, by the goodness out of, out of the Christian ethic type of thing. The fact that we have, like, Geneva conventions and how prisoners of war should be treated and things like that. This didn't happen in the ancient world. These kinds of things, people just abused and enslaved and treated others with horribly. We need to realize that God's actions were just and that they're corrective. They were actually even still loving. That's what we want to see too. Is Number two is that God's actions when he sends these plagues are corrective for us. They are to change the false beliefs. Now, where do I see that? Look in Exodus 7 as God sends Moses in to to send these plagues. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like a god to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You're to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the people go out of this country. Okay, set them free. Verse 3, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he's not going to listen to you. He will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment, and I will bring about my divisions, my people, the, the Israelites. Wait, God is hardening Pharaoh's heart? Yeah, absolutely here. God is hardening Pharaoh's heart so that all of the signs and wonders may be displayed. Um, God actually has a purpose here to show that he is in charge of all things uh, in the environment. All of the Egyptian pantheon is going to be under attack, their belief in their gods. He is on the move. He's not accepting that, well, the Egyptians have their culture and the Hebrews have their culture. No, no, no. God is saying, I need you to know truth. I am God. There is no other. I am the Lord. Look at verse 5. And the Egyptians will know. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. God's intention in these plagues is to correct some false beliefs. God, in his mercy, is not allowing people to stay in, with their own sort of belief in the gods that they've created, in, in the images that they're worshiping, in their false beliefs, because they are denying both themselves, their families, their children of a relationship with God that God wants to bring about in their lives. So let's take a moment to take a look at this a little deeper. This is kind of—a lot of Bible scholars like to look at this, and I think find this interesting. So I'm trying to tie this in. Um, it's hard to know exactly what was going on in all of the worship of Egypt at that time. And I am certainly not an Egyptologist or, a, or, or an expert here, but let's talk a little bit about how the plagues— actually addressed specific beliefs of the egyptians okay the the the, the egyptian pantheon now for us it's like oh yeah there's god but i don't think we really realize what it's like when there's a society that had is a pluralistic set of gods a pantheon of gods the egyptians had gods for everything i mean just everything you know oh well look um um it's time for the fruit trees to grow. Well, pray to the God of the fruit trees, right? I mean, they had gods that controlled all different aspects of life. Um, And and so many of the parts of their world were deified. In fact, the very first one is the Nile River, the Nile for the Egyptians. Egypt, I mean, was one of the most, was world power, biggest population country of the time. It was amazing. But they were completely dependent on the Nile River. They had a huge population density because everybody had to live near the river. The rest of the country, it's kind of a desert. But right here by the Nile, you had like fertile land. So the Nile, they began to worship as if it were their God. And so the name in the Egyptian, and ancient Egyptian for the Nile, Hepti was actually a name of one of their gods that they worshiped um, because they saw the Nile as God. Well, look at this first plague in Exodus chapter 7. It says, by this, you, the Lord says, by this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, Moses says, um, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish of the Nile will die, the river will stink, and the Egyptians will not even be able to drink its water. Wow. So the Lord will be known as God in Egypt. Strike the Nile that they depend on. Change the water into blood. Now, ultimately, the people were able to go and dig for them sort of some shallow sort of pools, dig for them some wells to have drinking water. Because how long can we last without uh, drinking water? Maybe three days or something. But the idea is God provided there was a way to get water, but they were shocked. The next thing that happens is this plague of frogs that God sends. It says in verse five, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff and over all the streams and canals and ponds, and make frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. Now this was a definitely an attack against another one of their gods. Uh there was a god that had sort of a frog head, his name was Heket, and he was the god of fertility, right? Sort of like You would have the right number of children and the right number of frogs. All of a sudden, God's showing you don't have the right number of frogs. The frogs become massively fertile. The frogs were everywhere, the scripture says. The frogs were in their houses, they were in their kitchens, they were in their beds. I I gotta be honest, I'm not a frog guy. You know, I, I know the pe- you, you, you know what I'm talking about. There are frog people. You, 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 they're the ones that say, "Oh, look how cute they are!" And they have little frog clay things in their gardens. And you know, some people really like frogs. I, I've had friends, and they just and they like little decorative frogs everywhere. I'm not a frog guy. They just seem slimy. They sort of like they make these sounds that are like, are they burping? Or are they? I don't know what they're doing. I, I just I, I can't imagine if there were frogs everywhere, everywhere, slimy gross, nasty, Pharaoh is immediately taken aback and said, okay, okay, look, I, I, I'm wrong here. Maybe I should let you guys go. Just pray for me. And, and Pharaoh seems to be kind of like opening up a little bit. And, and interestingly enough, Moses gives him the permission saying, well, you set the day when the frogs are leaving. He's like, tomorrow, tomorrow. I want them gone tomorrow. And all the frogs, they died and they, they burned them all up. Who is in charge of fertility? Who is in charge of the Nile? It's not the Egyptian gods. God is Lord over all. The next thing the Lord says is the third plague are these plague of gnats, right? Those really nasty gnats, the thick gnats. Now, I, I, I've run into that. You, you get these, right? You know what I'm talking about when they're those little and they're everywhere and they're in. I always get when you're mowing the lawn and you go and then you go through a cloud of them and you eat like a dozen of them and you didn't mean to. It's Like keep your mouth closed, Mike. You know that's what you're telling me. I get it. I oh, uh, but they're irritating gnats. It says they did this um, when Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, he struck the dust of the ground and gnats came out on all of the people and the animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. And the magician said to Pharaoh, they couldn't do anything like this. They said, this is the finger of God, Pharaoh. This is not us. This is not some magic trick. This is, this is beyond our, our understanding. But Pharaoh's heart was still hard. He would not listen just as the Lord had commanded. The Egyptians had a God of dust and dirt. <laughs> His name was Geb. And he was in charge of all the dust and the dirt. And all of a sudden, it had become gnats everywhere, filling the world. Okay. These were plagues of inconvenience in some ways. I mean, they were bad. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm grossed out by the frogs. I hate the gnats. The fact that you have to dig your own little, you know, well to get water. What an inconvenience. But these were plagues of inconvenience. God begins this first set to kind of knock it on the door of their heart saying, Things are not going like you planned. Things are not going the way you would choose. Wake up. I am the Lord. Recognize me. You guys ever have things not go the way you want? I do (laughs) right we all have those inconveniences it's like oh no I forgot to put gas in the car when I'm late oh no I forgot to you know oh goodness what's happening you know there's always the things that kind of come that are those frustrating things I was talking to a friend yesterday young man he was talking about interest rates anybody excited about interest rates Sometimes when you're making money, yes, when you're buying a house, no, right? I mean, there's the ups and downs in the world. And it's like, oh, for some people it's convenient, for some people it's not. And it's like, oh, and he began to talk about, I don't know how we're ever going to make it. How are we ever going to buy a house? How is it everything? People who are young were doomed. And I'm like thinking, I remember when it was 8 and 8, man, that's when I first bought my house, you know? And my parents were like, I remember when it was 17% to buy a house. I remember those days when it was like a credit card, I We've survived. Culture has gone through, right? But there are inconveniences in this world. And brothers and sisters, sometimes those inconveniences, I think the Lord, I'm, I'm thankful. This young man was talking as if he wanted the world to be perfect. Like, no problems. There would just be an abundance of wealth. No one would have to pay for everything. Everything would be good. And I kept thinking, I don't know that that would be good for us. We need to remember that God is God. We need a little bit of dependence in our life that the sovereign Lord is ruler of all things, that the Lord is the one who brings wealth. The Lord is the one who brings prosperity. It's not my job. It's not my nation. It's not my country. It's not my 403B, 501K plan. It's 401K. It's not any of those things that I can trust in. It is God who is God. The Egyptians needed to realize by these plagues of inconvenience, That came that God is God over every aspect of life. It is not their ability to control the where the canals are from the Nile or how they can maybe reduce the population of the frogs. They can't worship their gods and 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 think that it's okay because we have our own gods too. It's our nation or our country or our economy or our we can't be dependent on those things. It is Lord. And the Lord sent these first plagues that were inconveniences upon the Egyptians and pretty sick inconveniences, pretty serious inconveniences to show that he is God. Well, the plagues didn't stop there, right? We had three more plagues. Uh, there are actually 10 in all, but three more plagues that become plagues that are not just inconvenience, but they actually start to do harm. Uh, The fourth is a plague of flies. Once again, nasty and bigger than the gnats. He says uh, in verse 8, God is speaking. He says, if you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials and in your house and your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. And even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, he says in verse 22, I will deal differently with the people of the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I am the Lord in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. Okay, again, the Egyptians had a god. His name was either Kepri or Kephra, but he was supposed to be their god of creation and of, in particular, beetles and flies. They liked beetles for some reason. I don't really like beetles, but flies. And Kepper had the image of had the head of a fly. And so this was an attack on, on the belief in there would be some other God who would be in charge of creation. Oh, no, no. That God is not in charge. The Lord, he is God. He is God in this land. And in these next three plagues, we see that not only is it inconvenience for everybody, And we need to realize that sometimes God's judgments come on everybody. And it's on a whole nation or on a whole world. And it doesn't matter if you think you were the righteous person. Hey, the judgment is still there. Here, we see this judgment saying God's making a distinction between the righteous, between his people and the the Egyptians in this category. And in the next several, he does that. God begins to separate out to show that, look, the blessings come with people who know me. The blessings come from obedience and disobedience leads to destruction. Here, he said, you, so that you will know that there's God, that I am God in the land. Not only did he send flies, but the next was an attack against their cattle and livestock. It says in verse 6, On the next day the Lord did all this. All the livestock in Egypt died. Not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. He made that separation again. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet in his heart was unyielding and he would not let his people go. Hathor was the goddess of protection and she also, in the Greek pantheon, had the head of a cow. This was an attack against their beliefs that they could be protected by their gods, that their gods were somehow in control. The Lord is Lord in the land. He's Lord over all things. No protection other than the Lord. Your wealth is not your protection. Your nation is not your protection. God is our only security. Here, the Lord is beginning to, again, show that distinction between his people and the people that were not didn't know him. In, pl- in plague number six, <clears throat> I didn't do a picture of this one because it's boils. And that just seems really... Uh, <clears throat> So uh, here's the cartoon. The people were covered in boils. The animals were covered in boils. It says, so they took soot from the furnace before Pharaoh. He tossed it in the air, and the festering boils broke out on the people and the animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all of the Egyptians. Once again, they had goddess like Isis, who was the goddess of medicine. Not any help at all. But what I want us to see from these second set of plagues is this. That the Lord does work in the world to make himself known. And one of the ways he does this is because there are blessings from obedience. Now that, mean, that doesn't mean everything is perfect. That doesn't mean everything is good. But I'll tell you, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That's what the scripture tells us. We know in Galatians he says, those who sow to their flesh or to their sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. Or as I always like to say, you know, if you play with fire, you might get burned, right? I mean, you deal with things that are addictive. Guess what? You're going to get addicted. I, I, I know that, like marijuana use and stuff like that, it, it has become legal, and some people have different reasons and need to use it for medical reasons and those kinds of things. But one of my big fears is the addictive nature of it, right? It's addictive. Smoking is ad- addictive. I mean, you can play with it. I mean, but it's addictive. We, we have to be careful with alcohol use. I mean, it's not like, oh, oh, you can't ever have a drink ever. No, no. But it can be addictive. And we need to be gambling. Well, I'm just going to play the lottery every once in a while. You know, okay. I, I mean, oh, whatever. I, I don't know. I think it's probably a waste. You're more likely to get struck by lightning, right, <laughs> than, than, than play the lottery, or than win the lottery. But I'm just saying, I mean, if you want to spend your money that way, but here's the deal. Gambling is addictive. So when we go into these things that we're toying with, with we play with, those things can often lead to addiction because we're so into the sinful nature. We're so into those cravings in our flesh, whether it's to get rich quick or to get rid of certain kind of emotions and feelings and, and try to self-medicate with something. Often when we're walking down those paths, it, it can be destructive in our lives. It can be even things that that quite frankly, like a love of money. Oh, I've just got to save more, or I've got to spend more, or I've got to do these things. It goes to the th- desires of our flesh, and quite honestly, those things become addictive in our lives. And let's be honest, Paul is honest with us when he says in Titus chapter 3, at one time, we were all. Who's included in all? All. At one time, we were all foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved that's the biblical word for addiction, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. All kinds of passions and pleasures. That means you and me. These things are there. We walk according to God's ways. We walk according to God's laws because he is holy. We walk because he's called us to it. We walk because he's revealed his truth to us. But we also walk because, well, there's a distinction between those who are walking in his ways and who are walking in the ways of the world. So I say to you, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature. Brothers and sisters, these warnings are for us. Yeah, they were to convince the Egyptians that God is God. But when we try to go our own way, do it our way, get into these addictive type of things or even other harmful, disobedient kind of actions, and there's something wrong that comes as a result, why are we then surprised? Why are we then mad at God? These plagues are to teach us a lesson too. That God is displaying his sovereign power and as he began to distinguish between the Egyptians and the Hebrews that we also need to realize that we need to walk in the ways of the Lord uh, to experience those blessings. Well, finally... I think we often miss this when we look at these passages where we see God's judgment and it's kind of scary and like how could God be hardening hearts and how could God do this we need to realize that even in his judgment our loving amazing God is merciful that his judgments like these judgments of these plagues actually show mercy all right let me show you a couple of them real quick all right plague number seven it was hail hail If you haven't figured out, there's this really neat parking lot garage behind us. So if it hails, you can bring your car over here if you don't have a garage. That's, that's my plan. All right. Uh, I, don't want, I don't want little hail dinks. Okay, they had hail. Verse, uh, Exodus chapter 9. This time, God says, I will send the full force. Okay, he's upping the level here. Not only things that brought harm, but things that were destroying the society. I will bring the full force of my plagues against you, Pharaoh, and against your officials and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you from the earth. God's just kind of like reality check here. I've been giving you these plagues, but I could have given it at such a level that you would have just been wiped out. It's, you are in existence because of my mercy and grace. Verse 16, But I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show my power, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And here we see these powerful plagues revealing God, not only to the Egyptians, but ultimately to his purpose to all the people. So, once again, Mercy. Here it comes. Verse 19. God's about to send a gigantic hailstorm. And it says, give an order, bring your livestock, the ones that are still alive, and everything you have in the field into a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that is not brought in and out of the field, and they will die. I'm going to send big hailstorms, not the little, little pebbles like the big ones. I mean, the golf ball, soccer ball size. I don't know what size hail balls, but they're going to be big enough that they're going to wipe it out. Get inside. He doesn't have to tell them this, right? He doesn't have to warn them, but he does. And those officials who feared the Lord, noticed the change that's occurred, hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word, they left their slaves and their livestock in the field. And you know what happened. God's judgment this was a judgment against Nut, the goddess of the sky. God was in control, but he was actually displaying his mercy. Plague 8, they didn't listen. They didn't obey. Sure, it wiped out a lot of the crops, but some of the crops are still there, and Pharaoh kind of refused to believe. So plague 8 comes, and Pharaoh's officials said to him, look, how long will you let this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship their God. Don't you realize Egypt is ruined and Moses, verse 13, stretched out his hand and his staff and the Lord made an east wind come and blow across the land and what happened that day all and all night in the morning uh, brought the locusts. Locusts are basically grasshoppers. A swarm of grasshoppers, is lo- their locusts is, is light, loci. But anyway, they're locusts. Uh, a lot of the, lo- the locust swarm was there and ate all All of the plants, all of the crops. It says, verse 14, They invaded all of Egypt, settled down there in the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, and nor will there be ever again. Don't miss that. Just like with the flood in Noah's day, and God promises, I'm never doing that again. Here again, never will there be a plague like this one again. God, even in his judgments, is merciful as he basically destroyed the economy of Egypt at this time uh, not only was he ex- destroying uh, the 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 credibility of Seth the goddess of of crops and the goddess of god of disorder god was creating this chaos of time to show that he is god but even in his mercy he promises never to do it again the final plague uh, of this series is is darkness and it says this Verse, chapter 10, so Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, and total darkness covered Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else and move about for three days, yet all the Israelites had light in places where they lived. I don't even understand how this worked. I mean, could you just like, was there like a line, like, here I can't say anything, and oh, I'm in the Israelite land, and now there's light? I don't know, but God is God, and he can do it any way he wants to. There was darkness in the land. This is apocalyptic fear. Not only is the economy ruined, not only do you, uh, we don't have anything to eat anymore, and we're going to have to go buy food somewhere else, not only was there panic in the land because the fish are gone, the, 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 the cattle are gone, and the, the crops are gone, not only, but now there's just Darkness. Like, I just literally can't see for three days. I can't move about for three days. How do I do anything for... The people were in total disarray. Well, we got to realize that the sun god, uh, Ra, was the head of the pantheon for the Egyptians. He was their highest god. Was there any doubt in the people's mind that the Lord, he is God? God displayed his mercy even in judgment. It only lasted three days. And by the end... All the people of the world of that time knew. By the time Joshua gets to the promised land, after they had come out and wandered for 40 years, it says people who were so afraid in Gibeon, they answered Joshua and they said, Look, we pulled a trick on you. We tried to deceive you so that you wouldn't wipe us out because we know that your God is the true God. They answered, Your servants have come from a distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. We've heard reports of him and all that he did in Egypt. Egypt, God's mercy, God's was seen as He glorifies Himself in a way that makes not only the Egyptians, not only the Israelites, but all people know about Him. Well, the final plague, the tenth plague, the one that is scariest of all, Pharaoh's heart was hardened all the way to get to number ten. What was number ten? It's known as the Passover. And it was seen as a as, as a prediction of God's ultimate redemptive purposes. What happened? Well, God told Pharaoh, every firstborn in the land will die. Every one of them, not of the Israelites, but of every one of the Egyptians. Every firstborn. Now, that's really hard for me. I'm firstborn. My wife's firstborn. My dad's firstborn. My mom's firstborn. We're all done. I mean, we're all goners, right? Every firstborn. What's happening? This was a sign that ultimately God was going to bring a deliverance. What happened? He told the Israelites, you were to take a lamb, a lamb that's one year old, a perfect lamb. You were to, to slaughter it and eat it that night. Take the blood, put it on the doorpost. And, and when you see, when the angel of death comes and passes over, God will spare the children that are in the households of the Israelites. It says, verse 13 of Exodus 12, "...the blood will be a sign for you that on the houses where you are, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike the Egyptians." This was a sign that in the same week, for the Jewish people, they celebrate this every year, this Passover, all of these plagues that happened to bring them out of slavery. And on the same week of celebration... Jesus was put on the cross as that sacrificial lamb. Jesus was the one whose blood was put in our place so that the angel of death passes over us, that our salvation is secured because the penalty has been paid. God has taken it away. The blood will be a sign to you. In 1 Peter it says this, For you know it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that you handed down from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Brothers and sisters, we have in these stories horrible acts of God, righteous acts of God. Acts of God that brought about a salvation for his people, but also salvation for the world, that the world would turn and know that God is God, and that for us now we can see his work in all of history, that the Lord was preparing signs and wonders to show that he would send his son to be the sacrificial offering in our place, to die on the cross for us. Brothers and sisters, these acts of God in, for the, against the Egyptians were not just against them, but they were to show that he could bring salvation for us as well. These stories are hard for me to understand, for all of us. But when we see them in light of the mercy and love of God, we can know, we can know that God's love is secure that our salvation is secure because what Jesus has done for us. Today, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, would you do that today? God has sent signs, wonders. He has shown from all, uh, all the way through history that Jesus is coming and that he has come for us. Would you put your faith in what Jesus has done? The worship team is going to lead us in song. If you're coming to join this church as a member or you would like to know more about following Jesus, you come. You respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you spare us, that you deliver us, that you make a distinction between those who are yours and and, and have consequences for when we don't follow. God, thank you for, for teaching us and correcting us. God, help us understand your ways more. Help us understand your sovereign control. Be glorified. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would like to speak more, know more about following Jesus, or know more about his word, you come, you respond as we stand together if you're able to sing.